0: Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and here we are. Uh, the MLB just announced that they are postponing opening day until mid-May at the earliest. Uh, the NBA is, and I'm sorry to say last week, is on a minimum 30-day hiatus. There's more talk about is the season just going to be outright canceled and what to do because we are in the midst of a global pandemic and there is, there's no precedent for this. There's no guidebook or handbook on how teams and league should proceed with all this stuff. Uh, there's some talk about, you know, reports about NBA teams asking their, their franchises to look into arena dates through August. And it's not just through August what happens. But then, how does this Im- impact next season as well? So, we're in a really, really interesting time. No live sports, uh, NFL free agency stuff. So that's been getting underway today. But today, uh, I had a really great guest for you guys, uh, Coach Kevin App from uh, from from Williams College. He's he's going to come on, and we had a great conversation, a, a great talk. He's he for, for for those who don't know, Williams College is a uh, is one of the premier liberal arts universities or colleges in the entire country. It's almost always ranked in the top five in every college ranking, magazine, newspaper, whatever. They're always at the top. Extremely small school, less than 2,000 students, uh, and it's a incredibly small town in Williamstown, Massachusetts. It's as picturesque of a New England college town as as you can find so he's had a really interesting career as a player and as a coach going from uh the ivy league to the patriot league into the Nescaq. he's had a ton of success everywhere he's been including at williams and i've known firsthand as by being a player at wesleyan uh the last four years i've gone up against coach app nine times in my four years and i have a two and seven record against coach app but we were able to put that to the side and and have a really great talk uh so i really hope you guys enjoy and just in case uh i wanted to just to make sure that uh that people knew that i played against coach app and we mentioned things about the nescaq and different players maybe so uh apology if you don't know every player or person who's mentioned but uh we we try to make it clear for uh for people who who don't know, but uh, I really hope you guys enjoy. So uh, we're going to take a quick break and start the the music, and then when it comes back, it's going to be uh, my interview with Coach App from uh, from this morning. Hope you guys enjoy. Joining me today on the podcast is a very special guest, head men's basketball coach of Williams College, Kevin App. Coach App played at Cornell University in the Ivy League, graduated in 2007, and began his coaching career with stops as an assistant at Williams, his alma mater Cornell, and West Point before taking the reins of the East program in 2014. In his six seasons at the helm, he has guided the program to appearances in the 2017 Final Four, the 2019 Elite Eight, and a NESCAC championship in 2018. I am thrilled that he is taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going?
1: Uh, it's going going well, yeah, as well as it can be right now. Some uh, you know, certain things going on all around, uh, but uh, you know, thanks for having me and uh, uh, looking forward to it.
0: So obviously the global pandemic we're experiencing right now is very shocking, Williams, like almost every school, uh, you guys have closed for the semester. I'm guessing there's no page in the coaching handbook on how to handle a global pandemic, but what have you been doing to help your players or with your own professional development during this crazy time?
1: I think first and foremost, we were, we're still, uh, you know, our spring break wasn't supposed to start till next week. Uh, they moved it up a week. Um, so first and foremost, we're just trying to get, uh, everybody home and everybody situated, um, so that, that's kind of the first thing we've been doing. And anything we can do to help, uh, you know, help it'll move for I'm sure, clear out their dorms, whatever they need to do um, as they, they head home. So, um, and then from there, you know, we got a couple of weeks to, to figure it out. Um, you know, uh, we met. And uh, again, it, there's no playbook for it. And, um, you know, these are one of those moments I think as coaches, we feel, uh, you know, a lot of the lessons we try to teach through sports are going to get, um, you know, put into action of just, uh, taking it a day at a time and controlling what you can, and uh, making the most of uh, a situation.
0: So let's take it back to the beginning. Growing up in Maryland, when did basketball first become a passion for you?
1: Yeah, see, I'm I'm the third of uh, four children, and it's um, you know unique. Our, our parents didn't play uh, sports very much. They were you know on rec softball teams and different things, but nothing um, too competitive. Uh, my older brother got into tennis. My older sister got into lacrosse and, and I just kind of gravitated towards basketball. Uh, we played everything growing up, you know, I'd, I always said with, with four kids, uh, two parents working, you know, sports became our babysitters at times. So every <laughs> season we were, we were signed up for something. So, um, you know, soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, uh, baseball, and then tennis uh, during the summer. So, uh, we played everything and we all just gravitated towards different ones. Um, I think I just always loved the, uh, you know, maybe it was being the third child, you, uh, you know, are a little bit more on your own at times or, um, so I just enjoyed always just being able to go out and, uh, you know, shoot, shoot baskets on your own, uh, whether by yourself or with a lot of people, um, you know, just that kind of, uh, mental break, you know, visualization, pretending to be different guys. Uh, so I think, um, you know, that's where kind of basketball stuck out. And then, uh, the team dynamic for sure, you know, that, that's always, uh, it's why I ended up getting back into coaching. You just kind of, um, I, I think basketball is the best, team sport there is in terms of, you know, uh, you got to sacrifice for the group. You got to know your role. You got to, you know, sharpen your individual skills to help out the group. So, um, you know, those two aspects, just the individual development side and then, you know, kind of that teamwork side, I think, uh, helped, uh, you know, pull me into it.
0: So you obviously had a very good high school career and you ended up choosing Cornell, but when it, time, when, when it came time for you to choose a college, why Cornell?
1: Yeah, so uh, very good is I had a solid high school career, I guess I could say. Um, if I were smarter back then uh, and I listened to people around me, I probably would have been playing basketball in the NESCAC or uh, Johns Hopkins or, you know, a great academic school um, at the Division three level. Um, but, yeah, I, I, bl- I say we didn't have Google back then, so I didn't know enough. Uh, I was really good, you know, into math science. Uh, I wanted to get away from home, so that's why I didn't you know, really pursue, um, you know, the Johns Hopkins uh, type schools. I just wanted to, you know, do something different and get away. Uh, So I went to Cornell actually for the civil engineering program. You know, I I wasn't really recruited um, too hard. You know, some Ivies kind of contacted me uh, because of the, you know, I played in the WCAC. um, So we played in some national tournaments. So I got, you know, a little contact, but no heavy, uh, heavy recruitment. Uh, they didn't have the academic camps back then, unfortunately for me. So I couldn't, uh, you know, I was playing on outdoor courts, uh, for, you know, five star and, um, those outdoor rims with the wind blowing, uh, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the best for a five eleven, you know, not that, that good of an athlete outside shooter. So, um, but, uh, but no, I went to Cornell for the, uh, engineering program. And then, um, I was just incredibly fortunate that coach Donahue, uh, gave me an opportunity. Well, one, one presented itself that needed a guard and, um. Yeah, you know, it was just kept hanging around the team, and they uh, they added me to the group.
0: That's that's awesome. But so you mentioned you were there doing civil engineering. What are some of the key challenges of playing an Ivy League sport while balancing academics? Because civil engineering, just from the sound of it, sounds very difficult.
1: I, I was. I, I think that, you know, you don't know what you don't know, type thing. Um, I was fortunate that Cornell had a system in place uh, academically where um you know practices didn't start till 4:30 uh, so sometimes you know at some schools you hear you know labs really take up and maybe prevent people from going to practice um my, our engineering labs and uh, classes were all done by 4:30 um you know I was in the classroom a lot more than you know some of my teammates um just in terms of the demand of some of the classes um and a lot of those labs but uh, I never had to miss anything you know I was able to you know run over to practice you know starting up a little after 4:30 um yeah you know, I'm sure you feel the same way I always you know kind of attributed uh, I think I was a better student because i I made the team at Cornell you know had I had a lot of extra time or a lot of free time I don't know if I would have been as uh, structured in my schedule and um, you know my habits so uh, again i was I was fortunate the system or the structure was in place at Cornell um, and then I you know I felt playing a sport actually made me be uh, better with my time
0: yeah I was definitely the same way once I crack the rotation in the spring of my sophomore year. That's when my, as my parents love to say, that's when my GPA really started to improve. But, uh, so, so you mentioned early on that, that just the team aspect of basketball made you want to be a coach, but do you remember kind of when you made that decision that, Hey, this is the career for me?
1: Uh, I remember as a career. So I, I left Cornell, you know, took a engineering construction management job in Washington, DC. Um, and my senior year coach Spiker, coach Graham, they'd always, uh, be on me about, you know, whether I told my parents yet that I was you know giving up this Ivy league degree to go, go into this thing called coaching. Um, and you know, I, I think I had this job, so I, I wanted to give it a shot. And, um, you know, Cornell had some really good teams. And I think I made the decision when I was, uh, you know, don't tell my boss, but in my office, uh, <laughs> that was when, when, when streaming and webcasts were first coming into play. So, um, you know, a lot of times on Mondays I'm watching Ivy league basketball games, uh, you know, on archives, webcasts of all the different teams in Ivy league. I'm still following closely. Uh, there was a local cable channel at the time that was showing, uh, you know, Southern conference games and horizon conference games. So I'm watching Butler, uh, Steph Curry and, and Davidson and different things in the middle, you know, just staying up watching basketball. And I was like, maybe I'm, uh, not quite doing the right thing for me. So, um, I remember sitting at the dinner table and telling my parents uh, I was making this decision. I was actually going to go back to Cornell and just kind of shadow and learn from uh, from you know all my coaches, um, and then uh, this you know opportunity presented itself. Um, I got a call from Coach Donahue saying, you know, an Ivy League friend of his named uh, Mike Maker got the job at the school in uh, in Williamstown.
0: Yeah, so you joined Williams as an assistant in two thousand eight. And then Cornell the the very next season. So, what are some of the differences and similarities between being an assistant at the Division three level and then the Division one level?
1: Yeah, I tell the assistants that I try to you know recruit and hire here, and um, hopefully the guys that come come work in the NESCAC uh, feel the same way. That um, I'm incredibly fortunate that I got to start at Williams, and that uh, you get to do everything. You know, the budgets are a little smaller. The uh, so you know you're handling it. Um, the head coach can kind of trust you with everything Um, so scheduling uh, recruiting is you know you get to do it at a national level at in the NESCAC Um, you know a little smaller scale but still uh, you're kind of making contacts and going all over the country Um, so again just that opportunity to do everything you're doing film one day uh, recruiting one day uh, teaching on the court during the season you know the competitive strategy part so uh, that's really what when I fell in love with it was just that you know, it's not the same thing sitting at a desk every day. It's uh, once you kind of get, um, you know, I guess anxious about one area, you, you're you're jumping into another area. So you got to be this well-rounded, uh, you know, person to to do the job well. And um, you know, and then at the Division One level, again, Ivy League's a little different, but um, you know, sometimes if you start in Division One, you get kind of you're just the video guy or uh, you're just in charge of one thing. Um, so I just love that opportunity. Uh, to really get exposed and uh, learn about every aspect of a college basketball program.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you go back to Cornell in 2009. That season was one to remember. You guys won the Ivy League and went on a NCAA tournament run to the Sweet Six team before falling to Kentucky. That Kentucky team would go on to have five players drafted in the first round. Can you talk about how you guys prepared for that game where you were – overmatched athletically but still had a extremely skilled and experienced team that had a very good chance to win that game
1: yeah it's you know it's been a decade somehow i was talking to uh, nat grammy um you know who's the assistant he's at penn now uh but we worked uh, together and we just couldn't believe that it was 10 years ago now it seems like yesterday um and you know that team it was such a A surreal experience for me because the senior class that year, they were uh, freshmen when I was a senior at Cornell. So, um, you know, I came in as the third assistant. So our relationship was pretty similar uh, from when I was the senior captain and they were, you know, this new group uh, that started on campus. So uh, it was just a fun year. And, you you know, know, if if I've learned one thing in coaching, you just dive into the season. Uh, You take it a day at a time, a practice at a time. Uh, Then you look up and it ends. And, uh, you know, that year it ended in the carrier dome in the sweet 16, uh, which was, which was, you know, just kind of crazy. And, uh, and it was just fun the entire time. So, uh, you know, that Kentucky game, I, I remember, uh, when we found out one, you know, we played just great beat temple and, uh, Wisconsin down yeah. in Jacksonville. Uh, we get home and, you know, we, we took a charter flight to Jacksonville. We get a police escort to the arena. Um, and it's just this phenomenal experience down in Florida um, then we make the sweet 16. And you're like, all right, what's the next experience? And it was a bus ride up to Syracuse, which we did every season. So anticlimactic in that sense. But, uh, I remember walking out for that game and, you know, three quarters of the carrier dome, it looked like was in red, which was just a, you know, turned into just a special feeling of getting to play, uh, in upstate New York where we were, um, and having that support and, um, you know, and then, It just became difficult to score on that Kentucky team, if you believe it or not. So, uh, you know, we cut it to six with like six minutes left, but it was like forty to thirty-four. Just neither team could really, um, you know, get anything going. And, um, but I can tell you, we did not think the season was going to end. We we thought we could win every game we played. Uh, That team played. uh, We were you know beating Kansas, who was number one in the country at Kansas earlier in that season. With about a minute left in the game, Um, you know, we had beaten Alabama, UMass. you know, and then uh, beating some high major teams. So we, we kind of really prepared them, um, you know, for that moment. And, you know, the guys were confident. But, uh, yeah, you look back and see who was on the floor, and it's a uh, pretty special experience when it's, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe, John Wall, uh, Patrick Patterson, and uh, who else did they have on the wing? Meg- Miller and Liggins. Um, I think have both ended up Daniel Orton coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, you know, but our guys, uh, you know, that team is just a special group. I think every you know that that season Williams had a great team too. They went to the national championship game in 2010, and um, both of those teams I you know learned a lot about uh, you know just teamwork and relationships, and um, you know that's really what we've tried to or what I've tried to kind of emulate and, and teach. Those two teams really kind of stand out in my development.
0: Yeah, so I don't know if, if you know this, but that game is on that full game is on YouTube. So while prepping for. For this, I was able to to watch that game and you guys were 100 percent in it. It's like the narrowest people only see the final score, but you guys were 100 percent in that. And there's there's there was some plays that I noticed that you guys were running then at uh Cornell that I noticed that you guys are also running uh for guys at, at Williams, uh specifically Matt Karpowitz. There's a there's a lot of buckets that he scored on a on a back screen for him that that I noticed, but uh
1: i know i know a play i, I watched it this morning as well because you got yeah. it in my mind so I, I know a play you're talking about but uh i can tell you our, our with the sophomore point guard chris Blesky at cornell and, uh, i actually laughed because when he went to set the back screen on uh demarcus cousins it didn't really uh, <laughs> affect affect cousins too much So i was actually laughing at that play
0: yeah so there's a so that me to the next question So was there one player moment coaching against whether it be Calipari or John Wall, Cousins, Bledsoe, or the guys you mentioned, that really sticks out to you after all this time?
1: No, it was really, I mean, the moment that sticks out was walking out to, you know, the place in red, which was yeah. just such a cool experience when every time we'd gone there as a player or coach before that, you walk out and it's all orange and blue. Um, and the place was red that day, which was really awesome. Um, you know, there were a couple, though, like when, you know, I just remember John Wall and the fast break was, um, was it was different uh it <laughs> that way uh to, to watch him kind of going at that speed and uh, you know when he got a couple steals was um you know just again kind of shows you uh, things to come
0: yeah for sure so so you leave cornell after that season and become an assistant at west point what was that experience like coaching at a service academy
1: it was uh you know really one of the, probably the best decisions i made uh, to leave um you know kind of the comfort of a place I knew. Um, you know, Coach Donahue had left for Boston College. I, I could have probably stayed on with the new coach at Cornell, but um, my relationship with Coach Spiker, the head coach at West Point at the time, uh, really was what drew me uh, to West Point. You know, I didn't know much about the academy, uh, but I knew a lot about him and I trusted in his vision of uh, kind of building a winning program there. And, um, you know, so I went there uh, to help him out. You know, he, I, I owed a lot to him uh, in my career as a player and coach, and um, I wanted to do my best to, you know, help him at, out. And um, and then while I was there, just, you know, the leadership development, uh, you know, as Coach K always says, it's the uh, you know best uh, leadership development institution in the world. And, you know, to get to coach there for almost five years um, and absorb a lot of what they teach, uh, you know, it's just a special place to be.
0: So what is it like to recruit to a service academy, and how is that different from recruiting at a school like Cornell or Williams?
1: Yeah, the, you know, the students and the student-athletes are, are not that different than the NESCAC and the Ivy League students. Uh, they, they come there. A big part of it uh, you know, is for the education and you know, the opportunity to play Division one sports and, and the leadership development and, and serve their country. Um, I always say the biggest difference is, you know, to come to a Williams, a Wesleyan, a, a Cornell, you're educating, you know, a young David Dixon on, you know, four years of your life. You know, hey, this is what your experience for four years at Wesleyan or uh, Williams is going to be. Uh, at West Point, we had to educate a family and a young man on on probably over a decade of their life, mm-hmm. including the time at West Point um, and the time after when they're, they're serving. So that was really the... Uh, most challenging part is, uh, you know, the 17 uh, year old guy, you probably didn't even want to listen to, uh, you know, the four year coaches talking to you that much on the phone. <laughs> so it was, you know, just getting a family and a young man to listen to you and ask questions and get them the right information about over a decade of their life. Um, and the families that, you know, kind of stuck with you through that a little longer process, um, a little bit more information in other places, I think saw the true value in it. Uh, both financially, both, you know, just in development of, you know, a young man or her young woman as a, as a leader. Um, so the, you know, that was, the challenge was just a lot more information, you know, over double, um, you know, the amount of years you had to educate them on or project, uh, for them. Uh, but you know, outside of that, it's a great product. Um, you know, so it was pretty uh, easy to sell once they, once they were willing to kind of sit down and go through it with you.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, after four years at Army, you get hired at Williams in 2014. That team was coming off three Final Fours in five years and a run to the 2014 National Championship game, losing on a buzzer beater. And the prior two coaches at Williams had left to go to, the, to, go to Division One programs. So what was it like to take over such a successful program with sky-high expectations, not only for the players, but for the coach as well? Uh,
1: it was, uh, looking back, I mean, yeah I, I knew that those expectations were a part of the program um but you know i knew in a short you know i was here for about 15 months as an assistant and the program left a mark on me in terms of you know the people that had come through it uh, you could just tell something uh, they love this place and they love the program and you know coach maker um you know kind of in the modern um, times he was the third coach to kind of keep the program at that level uh he's one of my closest friends and mentors so um you know, I, if I was going to take on a challenge, it was, um, trying to keep it in his image. And, um, you know, so that, that's what I went into it more thinking, uh, my relationship with the place, the program and coach maker. And, um, you know, then we look up my first year in row and two and yeah, those expectations, I felt them a little bit more, <laughs> and, uh, the stress and anxiety kicked in a little bit. Uh, but you know, I, I knew that coming in and I knew this is a special place and, um, yeah, I wanted to kind of take on that challenge.
0: So I know personally from competing against you during my time at Wesleyan that you guys have a very strong team culture. Uh, One play in particular really sticks out to me where we're playing at your place my freshman year. So I think this is January or February 2017. Kyle Scadlock gets fouled on a layup, makes it. He's fired up. The whole bench is fired up. And you get pretty fired up too and give him a huge high five on the court. Obviously, that type of camaraderie doesn't happen overnight. How would you go about building and maintaining such a strong and positive culture at Williams?
1: Yeah, so I, again, the, the unique part about, you know, at West Point, we were trying, they were, you know, hadn't had a winning season in 37 years at, you know, Cornell. Um, you know, they had one Ivy League title, but, you know, not a whole lot of history. So Coach he was trying to build his program. Um, you know, the unique situation I came into was, uh, Coach Sheehy, Coach Paulson, and Coach Maker had had built this you know wonderful program. It was uh, more about maintaining it, and so we you know try to talk a lot about it. We it starts in the recruiting process. You know we try to show that you know in our film that um, that's a part of it, and that's you know wh- why we think we've had success uh, as a program. So um, you know that was the foundation was here already. It was just my job to you know kind of uh, keep teaching and promoting that part of it. You know not the winning part, but the kind
0: of closeness and together and as part of it yeah for sure so uh for the listeners who don't know the director's cup is an annual competition between all division three schools where a champions award each spring based on performance of all the men's and women's sports the entire year and in 2018-19 williams won its 22nd director's cup does the national success of so many of the other teams at williams help you as a coach or your team as a whole
1: I think it definitely helps in that uh, you are surrounded by other people pursuing excellence in whatever they're doing. So you're not, you know, oh, the basketball guy that's, uh, you know, just a jock. Uh, You, uh, you know, feel that presence of, all right, hey, other people here are doing well in the classroom and, you know, on the field, on the court, uh, in the theater, whatever they're pursuing. So um, I think that does rub off because you, you know, you don't want to be the person that uh, isn't working uh, at that level and, and trying to do well. Um, so I think that definitely, uh, you know, I think, too, it, it creates a team dynamic that, you know, is in our athletic department that, um, you know, for a lot of us that played sports and now we're in coaching, it kind of gives us another level of competitiveness where we want to uh, support those teams and see them do well, and we want to do well so that we can score some points for that uh, that cup and be a part of that Uh, success as well. So um, I think definitely it, uh, you know, drives people, um, but in a supportive way. Uh, You know, I think uh, you just want to be a part of that uh, success and excellence as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, So your first recruiting class at Williams can definitely be argued as one of the best in conference history with three 1000 point scores and all six guys having played meaningful roles in your program success. What do those guys mean to you? being your first recruiting class as a head coach.
1: Yeah. I mean, I talked a lot about it uh, last year when they graduated, um, you know, that recruiting class and, you know, the, the four guys, uh, Matt, Vince, Henry, and Mickey this year. Um, you know, th- that first group of, of 10 was really uh, important to me and means a lot. Cause you know, I was 28, 29 years old when I was calling most of them and their families, um, hoping that they would want to trust me and, uh, you know, my vision for the program and and my teaching and, and let me make a lot of mistakes. And, uh, you know, they kind of, um, you know, helped me out along the way, you know, kind of they took it on, um, to point out some of those mistakes in a constructive way and, um, you know, let me go through and let, you know, as long as I showed them that I was learning, um, and appreciated it. So, um, yeah, I, I, they mean the world to me that those first couple recruiting classes, because, uh, they didn't have to, they could have gone somewhere, um, you know, it's a little bit more of an established or uh, coach, but they you know wanted to be a part of this program. Um, and yeah, I, I hope we never have, you know, to be honest, I hope we never have 3000 point scores in one class again, because, uh, <laughs> you know, that happened a little bit because we had, um, you know, Duncan Robinson transfer. So there's, you know, our roster is a little bit small. Mike Greenman, the one year, misses the whole year. Um, so some of our veterans were gone. So we're playing, you know, all these, uh, freshmen right away. Um, you know when we weren't expecting that and then you know kyle misses a year or so the other guys had to step up so it was just you know kind of a, a hodgepodge of events but um but again I, I thought more so they really um you know allowed uh, us to get the program back to where we wanted it to be um and attract you know the next wave of recruits and, and allow me to uh, kind of learn and grow with them through their through their careers
0: yeah so malcolm gladwell said recently on a on the JJ Redick podcast when actually talking about uh, Duncan Robinson, who's a, who's a friend of the podcast and was a member of the 2014 national runner up team at Williams as a freshman for, as you've mentioned, transferring to Williams that quote, it'll be harder to make varsity at many high schools around the United States than at Williams. Obviously he's never been to a Nescat game before. Uh, what's your response to people who don't know or understand just how good the best D3 teams are?
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh I just encourage them to watch. I think that's the the beauty of um you know technology now is the games are out there and, and pretty uh you know readily accessible. So um watch. I, I you know, I tell people all the time the uh you know the twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen uh NESCAC semifinals with, with you guys, Amherst, us and Hamilton. Oh yeah. Um if you were if anybody was in that gym for that semifinal weekend, um and really any NESCAC semifinal weekend, but that one was just uh, you know, you had the little three rivalry going on. You just had the, uh, both games came down for the last minute. It was, uh, you know, upperclassmen teams. It was it was pretty high level. Um, you know, so that weekend in particular, I was like, if you were there, uh, yeah, I think you left pretty impressed, uh, you know, with our league and, and with the level. Um, and I think every year in the NCAA tournament, they see that uh, as well. So uh, I just encourage them to watch it. It's, you know, it's, it's great basketball. Um, and another kind of, you know I think right now we're finding out in our country how much uh, you know not having sports kind of takes away from you know just kind of our daily lives and entertainment um, you know so when when they come back uh, it's just another you know outlet to to get more uh, great basketball
0: yeah that that season was maybe the craziest in one in modern conference history as there's the, the five way tie for first between you guys, us Hamilton, Middlebury and Amherst. Amherst by like the eighth tiebreaker rule gets the host and we're on the bus coming back from Maine talking about, you know, theoretically who would who want to play. And me and Jordan Sears, who won the defense play of the year, we're like, guys, it doesn't matter. It's gonna be a dog fight, you know, it's gonna be you have to play one great team, like you're gonna to have to beat three great teams to win the to win the conference. It was like there are no there, there's no easy path.
1: Yeah, no, it's fine every year, you know, is it, is is like that and um yeah, I know every year uh, I've been the head coach, just enjoying it more and more, just the type of the level of coaching and uh, playing at, at our level and you know, in the NESCAC uh, as a whole is, is just fun to be a part of.
0: For sure. So at a school like Williams, it's common for members of the senior class to be pursuing fantastic opportunities for their first jobs, whether it be in investment banking or consulting, tech, or even perhaps studying for uh, different graduate school tests like the LSATs for law school or the MCATs for med school. Is it a different challenge coaching seniors at Williams because of the added stress on them getting ready for what they'll be doing post-graduation?
1: Uh, I, I don't know if it's it's different. You, I think you just need to know that that's, you know, what I always tell the guys is that's why they're here. Um, you know, yes, playing basketball, uh, winning, and, um, you know, establishing these relationships and putting a lot into that um, is a reason they want to come here, but, you know, ultimately it's for the education and, you um, you know, in their life after, you know, that's the other thing we're always pitching and recruiting. So uh, I think just being aware of that and, and, you know, practicing what you preach, you know, as uh, one of our core values is balance and, you know, um, you know, that's having interest outside of basketball and putting time into, uh, you know, everything in your life, uh, being present when you are, you know, in the classroom, when you are at practice, being really present in what you're doing. So, um, you know, it's, it's unique and, you know, I think some, Things that uh, coaches at our level and institutions like you know, like Leslie and Williams uh, go through, other coaches would you know kind of be like, what uh, <laughs> you know that uh, you know just little stuff like that. Semifinal weekend, uh, we were just referencing you know Bobby Casey, our second leading scorer didn't you know he was in New York City on Thursday and Friday that week uh, doing um, you know uh, visit days with his internship yeah. uh, position for for J.P. Morgan, so. Um, <laughs> You know, and then luckily the Nescaq does it on Saturday, Sunday. Otherwise, he would have either had to, you know, miss a game Friday or, um, you know, not go uh, for the placement day. So, um, <laughs> you know, little things like, like that, uh, you know, happen across uh, our level. You know, they happen in the Ivy League some uh, as well. So, um, you know, it's just unique, but it's also, you know, my what I've been kind of taught by uh, the coaches that I learned from is that, you know, if you want their best production and you want their best performance on the court, um, you know, they got to feel confident and comfortable that everything else in their life is taken care of. And, um, you know, that, that's a big part of it. You know, so I think the more they, they feel that, uh, you know, you're supporting them in everything in their lives, uh, you know, the more comfortable and uh, confident they're going to be on the court.
0: In the NBA, at least coach, it's almost an unrecognizable game from five years ago just from the way the teams play with all the modern rules, have you noticed any changes from to, to the division three game from when you first started at Williams? And are there any emerging trends that you see happening in the next five years?
1: Uh no, I mean I I don't you know, obviously people, you know are trying to shoot more threes and create more opportunities to play a more um, you know, efficient game. So, you know, threes and layups and stuff. Um actually Coach Riley and I were Talking about it a couple of weeks ago at a game, um, you know, our, a lot of it's just good coaching and personnel. You know, when uh, probably five years ago in our league, um, every team was really big. We were big and physical and athletic, and um, you know that's how games were played. And then you know, just the way recruiting cycles go, and um, you know, this year in the league, a lot of people are playing five out, uh, you know, in a much more you know kind of smaller lineups, but really difficult to guard. Um, and learning how to play uh, with five guards on the court sometimes, you know, Colby and Middlebury. and For sure. Um, you know, so it's just uh, – I think that's what makes it uh, what makes it fun, and uh, you see kind of that, um, you know, coaching going on at, at every level. So, um, yeah, I don't know. As soon as one uh, – you think kind of one trend's going one way, you get a, uh, a team kind of winning another way. But, you know, in the end it comes down to uh, – you know, just the competitiveness and the spirit of the team and um uh, but yeah, you know, I think you know the analytical side is coming into play more and more, but um you know teams have been trying to do that for the most part for um, for years, but it's just making everybody better'cause um, you know there's more resources you're you know things are being taught more efficiently and better um so I think overall it's uh, you know, I think that's what's gonna happen next is as teams are trying to shoot more threes, all right, well teams are going to try to take away the three now how do you attack how do you guard um you know so you're kind of seeing it kind of shift back that way
0: for sure so coach i appreciate all the time uh i got five rapid fire questions to end the podcast you ready sounds good so in your time at williams who was the best player you ever went up against
1: oh man the best player we went up against Oh, now you're uh, now you're testing my memory. Uh, <laughs> my God, I can't even think of
0: uh, what was his name? Uh, Eastern Connecticut had uh, their
1: uh, was it Lindo? Uh, yeah, last name Lindo. I don't know best player, but he he was just uh, he luckily got in foul trouble our game. I remember <laughs> that was that was the year we made the final four, and at the banquet they had uh, kind of the senior all star team. Sitting there next to us, and I look over, and we had played against like five of the guys in that game. Uh, You know, uh, Ogundeko from uh, Trinity was there, and I was like, I was like, oh, I guess, you know, I guess we played against some good players. But, um, you know, Lindo was just one I just loved in terms of his uh, just energy and aggressiveness and how he influenced the game. And uh, again, fortunately, when we played him that year, he he got in Faltro. But, um, you know, there's been, there's been, uh, you know, quite a few. yeah, I could just
0: go down the list of uh, all Nescat guys in our league and torch this. So so I have two uncles who played football at Williams under Coach Farley, both members of undefeated Williams teams, and they, every summer at the beach, just talk about their victories over Amherst. Like it's <laughs> literally like Christmas morning for them, just unloading all the presents, talking about every aspect of the game. For those who don't know about the rivalry, can you and just – Three words, if it's even possible, but in three words, explain the Williams Amherst rivalry? I would say.
1: So, the three words I would say are history, geography, and uh, excellence. And I think those are three. um, You know, there's a historical component to the rivalry of the, you know, Amherst College breaking away from Williams College. There's, um, they're the closest school. You know, there's that proximity factor like you see at UNC and Duke. and then there's the you know fact that we've been, you know, uh, we've each had a lot of success. You know, there's a lot of years in basketball we've played each other four times sometimes. So um, when you combine all three of those, uh, I think it's a uh, you know pretty, uh, pretty intense and fun rivalry.
0: So as a young guy, still, do you ever play with the guys on the team to show them that the coach still has it?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, what I normally do and what my kind of go to is. Uh, is if guys come back to work, uh, you know, summer camp uh, uh-huh. when they're really tired and they've been on their legs for like three, four hours in the morning, um, right after lunch, when I, I get loose, I'll challenge them <laughs> to a shooting. I'll challenge them to a shooting drill in front of the camp, and I'll beat them because they're you know been on their feet for four and a half hours and just traveled. Uh, and then over their four over their four years, I'll never never challenge them again. <laughs> so, uh, Bobby Casey, if Bobby Casey listens to this, he'll have flashbacks because that's what. Uh, got him on that.
0: <laughs> so, and for those who don't know, Bobby Casey was in an unbelievable three point year. He torched my Wesleyan team too many times to count. Uh,
1: he, ended up, he ended up being the all time uh, three point uh,
0: oh wow leader
1: here in, in makes. So, um, but I I don't let him live that down. Though so I beat him in the one drill we did.
0: That's awesome. So, if you could change one rule about Division three basketball, what would it be?
1: It would be that the refs. Don't worry so much about the bench cheering for each other. Yes, uh, it's, it absolutely drives me crazy right
0: I'm, now. I'm with uh, you. I I cannot tell you how many times in my four years the refs told us at Wesley to to sit down, and the balls on the other side of the court. It's like, how are we affecting this? So, yeah. so last question before uh, before I let you go. What is your favorite memory thus far during your time at Williams?
1: Man, uh, you know, I think it would be hard not to say. Um, you know, we made the Final Four when we beat Middlebury up in Middlebury. One, it was just, uh, just a unbelievable college ba- basketball atmosphere. You know, their entire side was filled with students, and the whole place was kind of standing and cheering the entire game. Um, but just that, you know, kind of moment of our, you know, our senior Dan Aronowitz that year. Uh, had made the national championship game as a first year. And, um, you know, just that look, you know, he gave me after the game, uh, you know, that, uh, yeah, I think when Duncan transferred, you know, he—you know we, we didn't know when we were going to get back to that level. And um, that class, you know, Mike Greenman, Dan Aronowitz, really took it on um, to try to, uh, you know, help me get it back there uh, quick. And, um, you know, so that look, uh, you know, that he had, after that game was, you know, probably the highlight uh, for me, and that's, um, you know, just the validation he felt that, uh, you know, we got it back to the Final Four, um, and uh, you know, and like I said, I took it, wanting to keep it in the image of Coach Ceehee, Coach Paulson, Coach Maker, and um, you know, to get back there and, and be on the national stage again was uh, was pretty special
0: yeah i I remember watching that game at home during my spring break, and as you mentioned earlier i'll I'll say it for you for anyone who doesn't understand how good division Three basketball game is, find that game on YouTube or on the archives of the internet because that's just such a high level basketball team two just incredible basketball teams so coach i I really appreciate you taking this time uh to join me today on, on the podcast uh I really appreciate do you do you have anything you you, you want to say to the great folks of uh, Williamstown?
1: No, I mean, I mean, everybody across, uh, you know, just, um, like I said, this is a time where, uh, hopefully everything we teach in athletics, uh, gets put in the play of, um, you know, doing what's best for those around you and, uh, you know, taking it a day at a time, control what you can be positive. And, uh, again, uh, good luck to everybody in this, uh, kind of unprecedented uh, time right now. And good luck to you there.
0: All right. Thanks coach. That'll do it for this episode of the double double. Uh, if you can, if you want to subscribe, find us on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. Uh, it's a, as Coach aptly put to end the podcast, it's an unprecedented time. So I just want to wish everyone you know stay safe during this crazy time and uh, take care and make it a great day.